Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open up to John chapter 8 and stand for the reading of God's Word. John 8, verse 21. We'll read through 30. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O God, our Father, we call upon you since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you. Mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit and the true understanding of your word. Give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought, so that we may glorify your holy name in all our living and teach our neighbor by our good example, rendering to you the love and the obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children, their parents, since it has pleased you graciously to receive us among the number of your servants and children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. The interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and Jews, the scribes, the teachers of the law continues. It began, you'll remember, with the scribes and Pharisees bringing to Jesus a woman caught in adultery, right? Caught in the very act, and they bring her to Jesus. He refutes them with these words. He says, uh, How um, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Right? He confounds them with that statement. And then the passage we looked at last week, Jesus taught the woman and these rebellious Pharisees about who and what he was. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then they, they try to confront Jesus by 
questioning his testimony about himself. They claimed that he was saying, what he was saying was untrue because he was only self-attesting. He was, he was just testifying about himself. He refutes them again and he says, I am he who testifies about myself and the father who sent me testifies about me. Right? He rebukes them with scathing words regarding their knowledge or lack of knowledge of God. Right? Think of this. He's, he's going to tell them that they know nothing about his father or himself. You know neither me nor my father. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Levites, right? You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So in rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the, the, the God that they, they supposedly boast in. Then we pick up with our passage for today, and the words of Jesus are not exactly gentle in any way. In fact, they're incredibly intense. The Pharisees, you remember, excelled, and, and this is important right off the bat for us to understand this, the, the Pharisees excelled in righteousness. Okay, but it was not true righteousness. Their righteousness was what kind of righteousness? What was that, David? Self-righteousness. Right? That's not true righteousness. Self-righteousness. Here's a parable that Jesus taught about the Pharisees and their religion. This is in Luke 18, and he, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Trusted in what? Themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees trust in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and this caused them to view others with contempt. They really thought they had it all together. They really thought they... Um, we're living in a way that was pleasing to God. 
And they really thought they had the formula figured out to please God. They had erected fences around the law, layers of little laws, so that they would not break the bigger laws, or so they thought. In truth, they were lawbreakers because the end of their righteousness was contempt for their neighbor instead of love for their neighbor. That was the end of it. They just, self-righteousness leads to a contempt of your neighbor. And when a person trusts in himself that he is righteous, he is not understanding the righteousness of God at all, is he? The righteousness of God is his to share. And it, is, and it only comes to us on what basis? The basis of faith, not works. The basis of faith. That righteousness comes to you on the basis of faith, not works. Right? The righteousness of God is his to share. And it comes to us by faith. And, and it always has worked that way. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's how he got his righteousness, his necessary righteousness. He believed and he was righteous. Same today. We believe in Jesus Christ and it, it doesn't instantly, the moment we're... we're, we're <laughs> The moment we believe we're, we're not instantly perfect and without sin, um, we believe in Jesus Christ and God views us as righteous. He credits our faith as righteousness. He declares to us that we are now righteous. He sees us as righteous in his son. The Pharisees had this as their motto. I have obeyed this and that. I have tithed on my mint and dill and cumin. I have fasted twice a week. Therefore, I'm righteous. I've done these things that very few other people do. They have their own righteousness, and so they do not need an alien righteousness that is given to them by faith. They don't need faith. They've tithed their cumin. So Jesus speaks to these Pharisees and condemns them. He condemns them. Again, what we see from Jesus' words recorded for us in Scripture is that he is always making distinctions, right? He's always making distinctions. He's always dividing people, right? Which we hate today, right? We are so ashamed of sinful distinctions we've made in our past, like racial distinctions, slavery of blacks, slavery of whites, based upon sinful distinctions, right? And so we as a culture have, have tried to say, let's just not make distinctions anymore. But God is a God of distinctions. God is always making distinctions. God has divided Humanity. God has said there's narrow and broad roads, right? God has said that there are those who are elect and those who are reprobate. God has said those who are in his household and those who are outside, those who are welcome to the feast and those outside with those who are liars and abominable. 
constant distinctions. We try to deny any sort of distinctions today, distinctions that God made and called good, like the distinction between male and female, and the distinction between believer and unbeliever. Jesus, though, continually makes distinctions, and to deny those distinctions he, he makes would be to deny the truth. Okay, the Pharisees have stubbornly refused to believe in Jesus after all the miracles, after all the works, all these testifying works, after the, the testimony of the prophets, and even the testimony of his Father from heaven. And they have not only refused to believe, but they want to wipe Jesus from the face of the earth. They want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. They want to put him in the ground and never hear another word from his mouth. And they are seeking to kill him. And so they are enemies of the righteous one and so enemies of righteousness. And Jesus says to these self-righteous Jews, he says, and, the, and you got to hear the weight of these words. I go away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Distinction made clearly. You're going to seek for me. And you will not find me. You will die in your sins. And you can't go where I'm going. So what distinction is, is Jesus making here? The first one is that he's going to some place that they are not going to be able to go. Uh, is he talking about Jerusalem? Well, they're already there. Uh, is he talking about Galilee? Is he talking about Malta? Is he talking about Siberia? I mean, is he talking about some uninhabited world somewhere else? Somewhere in the Pacific Ocean? No, not at all. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven. The special place of God's eternal dwelling. Our Father, we say, who is in heaven. That place, right? And so heaven is the place Jesus left in order to come to save his elect, chosen before the foundation of the world. Heaven is the place that the Apostle John would be given a glimpse of when he was given that uh, revelation on the island of Patmos, right? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. That's where Jesus is going, in my Father's house. He says he's going to prepare a place for you. Right? John 20, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So Jesus is going back to his Father, his Father who is in heaven. So the place he's talking about is heaven. Acts chapter 1, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Which is a really strange question. I mean, what else would you be looking at at that moment? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So Jesus had come from heaven... And it was that claim, remember, that caused the Pharisees to go ballistic, right? I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John chapter 6. We looked at that a few months ago. They just, they go crazy. In heaven, there is God the Father, God the Son at his right hand, and God the Holy Spirit. It is a place that has citizens, the citizens of that country are those who die in the Lord and are transformed by his power. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's who is in heaven, God, and those who have had that transforming power work in them. And the angels, and nothing else, and no one else. And Jesus says to these self-righteous Pharisees, they cannot go there. He doesn't, um, he says... They cannot go there. Verse 21, Jesus says, he will go to heaven. They will seek him and yet die in their sin. They will even seek him and yet they will not find him, which is to say that many can even seek after God and yet they do so in vain. Many people will seek after God, but they do it in vain. They, they, they never come to a knowledge of God. They do not seek him because in him they, find, uh, they will find their salvation from sins. They seek him because they like high liturgy and mysticism and the smell of the incense. That might be a reason they seek him. They like some formalism, or they like routine, right? This, this seven and one is cool. Sundays, I like to do something spiritual. And so they'll seek him in that way. Some, some people seek God because they like the intellectual stimulation that comes from contemplating ancient writings. Old stuff has somehow a more profound uh, presence. 
Some people seek him because they want to keep peace with their family. Right? They're just going along because they want to keep the peace. Some people seek him because they think maybe there's some truth here. I'll take the truth and I'll decide what is true and I'll spit out what I decide are the bones. Some people seek him because they get something out of it, but they seek him as the self-righteous who don't really need his righteousness, who don't know him in that sense as the one who supplies righteousness to those who believe in him. And so being self-righteous not being covered in Christ's righteousness, they will have the same fate as these Pharisees. They will die in their sins. And the wicked man can't come into heaven. The wicked man is not allowed into heaven. I don't care what our culture has said to you, I don't care how many funerals you've gone to where they've lied to you and said, well, now so-and-so's in, in heaven. And they had no faith. They had no, no relationship to the church. They had no, no, nothing spiritual. The only thing they worshipped was a football team. Right? I mean, we've been to funerals like that, haven't we? And yet if they are not clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ... They can't come into heaven. It's closed off to them. How's that for a distinction? Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Another distinction of place. The only people who will be found in heaven are those who will have found their righteousness in Christ before they die. They will have despaired of their own righteousness, which, unlike the Pharisees who thought they were doing pretty well, they will, they will, be, uh, they will see that they're not doing very well. They'll despair of their own righteousness. Only those who have cried out like the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, right? Wretched man that I am. I am a wretched sinner. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? It is only those who say that, wretched man that I am, who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus made it clear, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the proud in spirit. Where do they get to go? What kingdom is theirs? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. The Pharisees were proud in spirit. They were self-righteous. They believed that they had impressed God. They believed that they had put God in, in their debt. That kind of man will never be in heaven. The poor in spirit will be in heaven. Only the poor in spirit will be in heaven. Only those who have, been, who have been undone and cast down as they've looked at themselves and their own wretchedness, only they will be in heaven. Only they, if they have called out to Jesus Christ. 
Calvin, my favorite pastor and theologian, defines poverty of spirit this way. He says, the poor in spirit are they who see nothing in themselves. (laughs) I mean, it's just funny to me to read that because that's so not modern psychology. (laughs) Here's hope, world. See nothing in yourselves. You're terrible. You're dead in your sins. You're a sinner. All you do is sin. He says, the poor in spirit are they who see nothing in themselves but fly to mercy for sanctuary. And Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan pastor, he said this, poor in spirit then signifies those who are brought to the sense of their sins and seeing no goodness in themselves. Despair in themselves and sue wholly to the mercy of God in Christ. Poverty of spirit, he says, is a kind of self-annihilation. Self-annihilation. Did you hear that? It's not all about empowerment in the Christian faith. I get sick of hearing about empowerment. I mean, everybody's empowered for this or that. Especially if you lack the power, you're somehow empowered for that thing you lack. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is self-annihilation. It is coming to the end of yourself and suing to God, going to God, pleading with God for mercy. Right? Self-annihilation is the opposite of self Well, self-righteousness is the opposite of self-annihilation. Self-righteousness is the fruit of thinking too highly of yourself. Self-annihilation is the the fruit of, of having a proper vision of yourself, thinking properly of oneself, which is to say, thinking very lowly of oneself because we are born in sin and we sin. And rage and lust and gossip and we tear one another down, right? And we hate our parents and and all authority. And we rebel and we lack gratitude. We grumble and complain. I'm just reading through, through the book of Numbers and it's just like, come on. And then I say, yeah, that's what I'm like. Grumble and complain, grumble and complain. Pretty soon the quail is going to be coming out of our nostrils. We whine. And so the easiest doctrine of the Christian faith to accept should be total depravity, that we are sinful and we sin. That should be easy for us to accept. And yet the self-righteous are even blind to their own sins. They do not see how they can go from one sin to the next. They, they are deluded. They do not know themselves, right? The self-righteous don't know themselves, and therefore they can't know God. And they don't know God, and so they can't then know themselves. They do not perceive the blackness of their thoughts and the adulteries and the murders that they continually commit. The self-righteous don't know themselves. They have been blinded by their sin and by the delusions of the evil one. 
Now you heard what I said. They don't know themselves, so they can't know God. And they don't know God, so they can't know themselves. I'm just stealing that from Calvin. First chapter of his Institutes. Right? First chapter of the Institutes. The first section is, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And then the second section is, without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. And he's like, it's hard to be able to figure out which needs to come first and which is second. And, and how do we figure this out? I was going to read that section, but I just I, I feel like that would be asking too much. Um, let me read the last part of what he says. Hence that dread and amazement with which, as Scripture uniformly relates, holy men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. When we see those who previously stood firm and secure so quaking with terror that the fear of death takes hold of them, nay, they are in a manner swallowed up and annihilated, the inference to be drawn is that men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God, right? We're, we, we don't know how insignificant we are until we see the very glory and majesty and the perfection and the, the holiness of God is what he's saying. He said frequent examples of this consternation occur both in the book of Judges and the prophetical writings, so much so that it was a common expression among the people of God, we shall die, for we have seen the Lord. Hence the book of Job also, in humbling men under conviction of their folly, feebleness, and pollution, always derives its chief argument from descriptions of the divine wisdom, virtue, and purity. Nor without cause, for we see Abraham, the readier to acknowledge himself but dust and ashes, the nearer he approaches to behold the glory of the Lord. And Elijah, unable to wait with unveiled face for his approach, so dreadful is the sight. And what can man do, man who is but rottenness and a worm, when even the cherubim themselves must veil their faces in very terror? To this undoubtedly the prophet Isaiah refers when he says the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign. When he shall exhibit his refulgence and give a nearer view of it, the brightest objects will in comparison be covered with darkness. Right, so he's saying, I mean, to know yourself you have to know God, to know God you have to know yourself. So perhaps the, the, you begin to see why I say that, that the self-righteous, which is really everybody outside of Christ, do not know themselves and therefore cannot know God. Do not know God and so cannot know themselves. The, the self-righteous would rather kill Jesus than have their sin revealed by him. They would rather take their self-righteousness with them into the grave than have their sin put in that grave before they die. The self-righteous see nothing properly. They neither see the utter refulgence of God's holiness nor the utter darkness of their own hearts. And Jesus says to the self-righteous, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. 
And where he is going, they cannot come. I mean, those are stark words. Those words close off heaven to the self-righteous. They close off heaven to the deist. They close off heaven to the theist. They close off heaven to the Mormon. They close off heaven to the Buddhist. They close off heaven to all these works righteousness religions. They close off heaven to everybody but those who believe in Jesus. Talk about a distinction. It's not a distinction our culture likes to make. We would like to have a God who doesn't care what we think, doesn't care what we think about his son. These words close off heaven to those who have not put their complete trust in the Son of God. There is only one way that your righteousness can surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And that is by faith in Jesus Christ. No man is good. No man is good. Certainly not good enough to please a holy God. There is nothing so hated today by people than this, the view that they are not good. You're not good. You're rotten to the core. Dear people. You're rotten to the core. I mean, I think of, I think of the, uh, we recently down at the abortuary, the work has been very hard because there are wicked and evil women who are there counter-protesting. And they go around and they get in our face and they play loud music and they, they um, insult us and um, say all kinds of blasphemies. But one of the frames they, they constantly say is, you are garbage. You're just garbage people. You are garbage. And I want to say, amen. Garbage we are. But in saying you are garbage, she is saying of herself that she is good. That she has met her standard of righteousness. Right? And she's the righteous one and we are the wicked. Right? I mean, they say much more than you are garbage. Um, really, at this point in the work we're doing out there, ch your children should not come. I would not take your children there. Um, it's too intense. It's too confrontational. And the, the blasphemies and the profanity and the sexual debauchery of some of the music they play um, does not need to... Uh, enter their ears it's hard enough in your own ears and if you're tempted um, one of the reasons that I struggled out there last time is um, if I get a refrain of a song in my head with words it will go through my head for months at a time and I can't listen to that stuff and so I had to separate myself from it because it will be in my head for months those blasphemies and so I just you know I, ha I have to walk away from it I can't take it um, so use your wisdom when you're out there, but back to the point, um, you know, she's, she's testifying that we're garbage and I want to say to her, yes, 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 I agree with you. We're garbage. I am garbage, but you are garbage too. And you, you need righteousness. You need true righteousness in Jesus Christ. And, and yet the implication of everything she's saying about others is that she is good. She thinks she's on the side of the angels. She does not know herself and therefore cannot know God. And she does not know God and does not know herself. She doesn't know the source of all good. 
And then we have a church that we live in for the most part, evangelicals and Roman Catholics, who think they are half good and half bad. Right? That, so they, they need a half savior and half good works. Right? Not depraved, not sinful, not dead in our sins and trespasses, but just, you know, half bad. We've, we've fallen halfway. And so we just need, we need something to help us get over the hump. Now that's terrible, right? The self-righteous make way too much of themselves and of their works and of their status before a holy God. So, so what gives? Um, we're, we're terrible. <laughs> Is there any hope? Well, I've been talking about that hope all through this. Is there any hope? Yes. And Jesus says so in verse 24. If you look at verse 24, I said to you, and he's still going after the Pharisees, but notice what he says in this verse. I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He gives them a way of escape. He shows them the way out. Unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am the Messiah, unless you believe that I'm a savior of sinners and a friend of sinners, unless you believe that I'm the son of God. The way to not die in your sins is to believe in Jesus. Do you see that in this text? We are terrible. We are utterly abhorrent to God. God would be delighted to pour his wrath out on all humanity, including us, And yet when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God's countenance toward us completely changes. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God's heart toward us softens. We go from hated to loved. We go from filthy to pure. We, we go from guilty to forgiven. We go from being children of wrath by nature to being, being children welcomed and adopted into the household of God. We go from clinging to our filthy rag righteousness to uh, the righteousness of the Son of God who is pure light. That's glorious. It's so simple. So simple, isn't it? You just have to believe. You have to put your trust in Jesus. You have to believe that He is, that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. You believe, you have to believe that He rose from the dead. You just believe it, and God gives you such a gift. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, ultimate protection in His presence. The Apostle Paul knew this righteousness. He knew that righteousness by faith. And I'll close with his words from Philippians 3. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, all of his works, right? A a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, All those things he had boasted and all those things that put God in his debt. Or so he thought. 
He's counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Faith. Faith. Faith in Christ. It's not, it's not, it's not coming to the sacraments, right? It's not baptism. It's not the Lord's table. It's not all that formalism, right? It's, it, it's so many things that we think are our salvation. It's not because your parents are, are Christians. It's faith. I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order ah, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I mean, contrast those words. Paul, this Pharisee himself, this one who was self-righteous, this one who led, you know, as Stephen was being stoned, he gladly stood there holding everybody's cloaks so they wouldn't get dirty, and they stoned him. This Pharisee of Pharisees says that, and Jesus to these other Pharisees says to them, you're going to die in your sins, and where, you, where I go, you cannot come. Yet to the Apostle Paul, Jesus came to him and showed him the way. And everything he had done, all of his self-righteousness from that point on, faded away and he counted it rubbish. Nothing. Trash. Meant to be thrown away. Worthless. Good for nothing. But simply by his faith in Jesus Christ... He attains to the resurrection of the dead. May that be true of all of us who have heard this word preached this morning. Amen.